Happy Easter. Uh, let, let, me, let me tell you, Easter's difficult for me because I, I, really, I really want to communicate, and yet you guys know what I'm going to say before I stand up here. He's risen. You, you know that. So he's risen. And Romans 1 says he was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection out of the dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I want to communicate to you that which is of first importance, that Jesus Christ was crucified for you, and that on the third day he rose victorious over death. So the, 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 the hinge of history for the believer is the death of Christ on the cross for our sins and his resurrection from the dead. And it, it really happened. So I'm, I'm going to say that today several times, and we're going to go to a passage in Acts 17 that is an incredible passage that deals with a sermon Paul gives on the long format, really to do two different groups, the synagogue worshipers, the Jews, and then to the Gentiles at a place called the Areopagus in Athens. And it's um, a strong passage, but the, the, the theme is this, Christ is risen. And as he preached that, I'm going to come, this is going to be my last point, so I'm going to give you my last point, and I'll get to it, that there are three responses. Some people scoffed and mocked the Apostle Paul. Basically, they said, this is a weird, strange teaching that one man claimed to be God, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, weird. Some people said, the second group are those who said, you know, this is very interesting. This is very interesting. We want to hear more. And then there's a third group who says they believed. They believed. Now, there are going to be people here today, I, I, I pray, to fit the third category. That some people are going to go from unbelief to belief. Some people are going to say, man, this is interesting. I need to explore the reality of who Jesus Christ really is. And some people, quite frankly, thank you, will scoff. Uh, but we're glad you're here. Wherever you land, we're glad you're here. But this is the scripture. I'm going to read five or six verses out of Acts 17. This is the Apostle Paul, former Pharisee, steeped in Judaism, met Christ powerfully on the road to Damascus and a lightning experience. This is what he says. Now, verse 16 of Acts 17. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean." Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something that was new. So, number one, what Paul felt. Number two, his response. Number three, his message. And number four, the response. Very quickly. 
we'll go through that. What did Paul feel? Well, first of all, he says he was provoked within his spirit. And the word provoked means to be deeply distressed, unhinged, emotionally overwhelmed. Paul was provoked in his spirit as he looked around and he saw all of these idols. And he was provoked in his spirit because, number one, when you worship an idol, you don't worship the true and living God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So so that's dishonoring to the Lord. And the second reason he was provoked is because Paul saw that these idols led to dead-end streets. They, they did not deliver. You see, sin separates us from God and we're, it leads to disintegration and dead-end streets. The end result is not good. And so he looked around at these idols and the disintegration that happens and, and, and the sorrow that it brings. And, and, and here are some of the idols that are probably up there. So you had Dionysus, who, who was the, the god of, um, of winemaking and revelry. Or you have Aphrodite, the, the goddess of, of passion and love and romance. There's nothing wrong with passion, love, and romance. But, but, but they don't ultimately deliver the real goods. It, it, it doesn't work. Or you have Athena, the goddess of wisdom and law and order and justice. And once again, it's good to have law and order and justice. But as an end result, to really give you meaning and hope in life, they don't deliver. And you have Apollo, who is the, the, the god of NASA, you know, that, that type thing. And that, that was a joke. He was not the god of NASA, okay? But anyway, it, again, doesn't deliver. You have Hera, the, the goddess of marriage and family. And marriage and family are wonderful and they're, they're gifts of God. But, but, but if, if you make that the end all and be all of your life, you're going to be disappointed. So, so these, he looked around, he saw that these idols just do not deliver. And his heart was breaking because they didn't honor the true and living God. And so he affirms in this passage, it says later, he affirms the fact that they're, they're seeking after a God or goddess. He says, because one of your own poets has said 500 years before that, in him, in the true God, we live and move and have our being. And so Paul says, I'm going to preach the true God to you. The, the God that you, the unknown God, that is the true God. And so he preaches Jesus and the resurrection. And his heart was breaking because he says, God has given us his law to guide us. And when you're an idol worshiper, you break the first commandment, no gods before you. The second commandment, do not make an idol. And the third commandment, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And that's a dead end street. There's a little catechism we follow called the New City Catechism. Question 17 asks this, you know, what is idolatry? And the answer is idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for hope, happiness, significance, and security. It's a great statement. It's trusting in created things rather than the creator for hope, happiness, significance, and security. It's a dead-end street. Now think about us, 2019. Uh, I think about the tame gods that we have. Our, Our hearts are idol-making factors. So the tame idols that we make. Uh, some people um, look at what they have and, and, and they ask these idols to bear a weight these idols were never meant to bear. They just weren't. Uh, some people here think, well, if only I could be in the right career, if only I could get board certified and, and get a fellowship and be placed here, then my career would take off and I would find ultimate significance and happiness in my career. Listen, it's not going to happen. Like, uh, jobs and vocation is a gift from God, but it's not the end all be all. 
And you work hard, and at the end of the day, you say, this is not ultimately satisfying. I think of people who are just married or getting married, and they think that this marriage partner will be, for me, the most wonderful thing in the world, and they're going to meet my deepest needs. Let me tell you something, it's not going to happen. In fact, I told my wife this week, I said, I need to apologize to you. Sometimes instead of depending upon you to do what God has called you to do, I demand you to do things that I really need, and that's way beyond what God has called you to do. See, I sometimes can place on my spouse a burden that she was never meant to bear. I just saw a beautiful little baby out here, all these new babies. And you have a baby, and you go, man... This baby is going to be a world beater. This baby is going to validify and validate my existence. And so you're so excited. And then a few years later, you realize that the genetic code is kicking in more than you realized. And you go, man, maybe not, maybe not. And so if, if you depend, on, I love children, but if you depend upon children to, to, to ultimately satisfy you, it, it doesn't work. Or friendships. You look at friendships. So this, these friends are wonderful. They'll, they'll never let me down. Listen, I let people down all the time, and I want to be a good friend. Or health. Now, we have a lot of physicians here. I, listen, I would just apologize to you physicians for those of us who are getting older. It's tough working with old people. Because even though we're 65, we want to feel like we're 35. Give us the pill, doc. Make me feel better. Listen, your bodies are falling apart as you get old. My dad is a wonderful man. He's going to be 94 next month, and he's as sharp in his mind as he was when he was 35. He's amazing. But he's getting older. 94. He's old. And four weeks ago, he had a heart attack. Three weeks ago, he had a mild heart attack. He's in ICU for four days. Brought him out one day, sent him home. Pretty amazing. So my brother called me this week and he said, you know, I just want to need to blow some steam. He said, I, I just spent the whole day with, with dad in the ER. I said, what happened? He said, nothing. He said, he woke up and he, he didn't feel good. And so he wanted me to take him to the ER. So I took him and they did blood work and did this and did that. He's fine. So I called him. I said, dad, how you feeling? Well, haven't had a good day. I said, well, what's wrong? He says, I just don't have the energy I used to have. I said, I said, Dad, let me, let me just, just to be really honest, he says, you're 94 almost. You just had a mild heart attack. You shouldn't feel good. That's life. I mean, you're, the finish line is there. I mean, boom. And that's okay because you'll be with the Lord if you die. He said, I know, I know. I said, so we, we put upon careers and our physicians and our spouses and our kids and our careers, these burdens they could, were never meant to bear. And then we get disappointed. There's a course being taught here for marriage enrichment. It's, it's a wonderful course. It's called Reengage, And it's a 16-week course that every married couple should do who've been married for a month or for 50 years. But one of the strong messages is, a little term they use is, get inside of your own hula hoop. In other words, when you're dealing with your stuff, don't look at other people's stuff. Get inside your hula hoop and deal with your stuff. It really is a restatement of Matthew 7 where Jesus says, you know, get the beam out of your eye so that you can help your brother get the speck out of their eye. But first, get the beam out of your eye. Here's, here's the problem my hula hoop. I am nearsighted, right? That means you can't see close. 
So, like I can, I can read this here, but I can't hear. So when I look inside my hula hoop, it's kind of, uh, I, I can't see real well. It's kind of foggy. But no, here's my wife's hula hoop. Man, I can see inside of that hula hoop. I mean, I, boy, I can tell exactly what's going on there. And oh, over here's my, 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 my son's, oh yeah, my, 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 my daughter and my daughter-in-law and my son-in-law, I can really see inside of his hula hoop. You know, man, I can tell exactly. See, the, the, the issue is when you really understand the gospel, you realize the problem is you. All we like sheep have gone astray. Isaiah says that we've turned everyone to his own way, but, but Jesus has come and the Lord has laid on Jesus the punishment that, that I deserve. So, so part of being, part of understanding this whole issue of the, 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 being provoked in idolatry is understanding that I'm the problem. The second thing is what was his response? Paul, it says he reasoned with them. He treated them with dignity. He didn't berate them. He, he, he went to the synagogue and then he went to the marketplace. In the synagogue, he dealt with the Jews. And in the synagogue, his message would have been something like this. He said, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. In Jesus Christ, all the promises of the Old Testament come to fulfillment. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the, the Lamb of the Day of Atonement. He is the one who is our city of refuge from Joshua, or he is represented by the gold, the, the red thread from Rahab's window in Joshua. It's a great story, but we can't go there. But he, everything is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the fulfillment. Behold the majesty of Christ, where he was born, how he lived, how he died. He fulfills everything. Now, and then he would go to the marketplace, a totally different group, non-Jews, Gentiles. And so he reasoned with them in a different way, but he still preached the same message. It says, Jesus and the resurrection. And later in the passage, it says this regarding this particular situation. He says in verse 30 and 31, he says that the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance by raising him from the dead. But Paul says the ultimate apologetic is that Jesus is risen from the dead. See, Christianity is helpful because it's true. It's not just helpful. If it's just helpful, it's going to be another form of behavior modification, another therapy in the long list of therapies and that you can go everywhere and get. But he is, is, is helpful because it is blazing truth. So he reasoned with them. Then he went to, goes to the marketplace and, and he reasons with a group called the Stoics and Epicureans. Real quickly, the Stoics were people who believed that God could not be defined and that life was difficult. Therefore, you should think deeply about the contours of life and the realities and the disappointments of life. They just kind of brooded. Epicureans, same basic belief. God is hard to define or cannot be defined. Life is difficult. Life is short. There's death and disease. Therefore, enjoy life while you can. Decrease pain and increase pleasure. So which group do you want to have a dinner party with? It's pretty easy. Epicureans. We had both these groups. And he spoke to both groups about the resurrection of Jesus. His message, behold the resurrected Christ. 
the hinge of history. Now, let me say this. The resurrection of Christ brings wholeness and integration to your life because it's blazing truth. It brings priorities to your life because it is blazing truth. Now, on Monday, I turned on the news and I saw where this was happening. Notre Dame was burning and I was devastated. Um, and it turned out to be not as horrific as I feared. As I heard that it was burning, I heard the roof was collapsing. We had the opportunity of, of being there all the way to North Africa. We stopped in Paris last January. And so you go in Notre Dame and it is massively beautiful. It's incredible. It's just like, good grief, you, you, you lose words. The, the, that, that which impressed me probably the most was, was the, I think this is the north window. I took this photograph with my little iPhone. It's a great photograph. That, that window is 800 years old. And, and we know that you cannot replicate what was done 800 years ago. We have lost the ability to do that art form. It's amazing. 800 years old. And so I was just going, I can't believe this is happening. And then I heard later that because of some incredible heroics, the three windows were saved. And I thought, thank the Lord. But I started thinking about being in Notre Dame in January. And I remember this happening and I'm going, wow, yeah. So, so you, go on, you go in this massive cathedral and you, and you go up front on, 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 on the left-hand side of the altar are these statues of some of the early leaders of the church, some of the apostolic fathers and the Cappadocian fathers. And, 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 and they are, they, these, these statues were, were fashioned in 1200, around 1200, I mean 1200, which is 300 years before Columbus came to America and, and almost 800 years before Clemson won their first national championship. <laughs> you know, you, just, you, you have to gauge your time in history and, so, so I'm standing there going, unbelievable. And they still had the Christmas decorations up, a big Christmas wreath, which I didn't understand in, in the ceiling. But, and, but over here, they had put in a Christmas village with a choo-choo train and some houses and some people. Uh, and it's something you'd see at any shopping center in America. It's just a Christmas village. I mean, that's just, and I'm standing there and I'm watching, looking at these statues and going, this is unbelievable. And these tourists come in. I, I mean, they, they run tourists through there like, like crazy. They come in with their cameras and they're going, they glance at the statues and they start, they're taking pictures of a choo-choo train and a village and these few, I'm going, good grief. And I see when I travel to show that I'm not an American and so that I, I don't want to call attention to myself, I always wear a baseball hat, have a fanny pack with a big bottle of water. So the no one I'm American, but I'm standing there with my ball hat off, my bottle of water, my fanny pack, and I'm going, and I thought, this is me. All too often in life, I'm mesmerized by a choo-choo train. And it was nice. And a village that could be put together by almost anybody. And behind me are timeless works of art that are 800 years old. And I ignore them. And I'm saying, when you follow Christ, brothers and sisters, Christ gives you a prioritization of how to live your life. And that's biblical integration. Not because it's helpful, but because it's true. Because it's true, it's helpful. So, so behold the reality 
of Christ. Now, let me, let me say this. I want you to hear this. So, idolatry is dependent upon the creation or things created for your hope, happiness, significance, and security. I'm going to very quickly walk through this. So, my argument is this, that because of the reality of Christ, I should have substantial hope, not total hope. All of us deal with discouragement and depression and questions. We live in a fallen world. We deal with our own crud. So, but substantial hope. Because we know that death is not the final word. We know that the scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord if you've acknowledged Jesus as your Savior on the cross. We know that Jesus said to the thief on his right, today you shall be with me in paradise. So there is enormous hope, substantial hope. We should live hopefully. This is a letter written to the editor of the New York Times several years ago, four or five years ago. This is the editor. Listen, a conjunction is a word like so or therefore that ties in the, the, the premise with an application thought, okay? It's a conjunction. Um, I want to help pay for my children's education in college, therefore, I will start a savings plan. I want to learn Spanish, therefore, I will take a class. Okay, you get it? So listen to this. This letter says there are, three, th there are 30,000 galaxies over 13 billion years old with many trillions of stars and many, many more trillions of planets. So how significant are you? You are not special. You are just another piece of decaying matter on the compost pile of this world. Nothing of who you are and what you do in it in the short time you are here will ever matter. Everything short of that realization is mere vanity. Just stop. This person will not work for the Hallmark station. Okay, just won't happen. If they apply, they're going to, you're out of here. So, so listen, here's the conjunction. So, so, listen, celebrate life every moment. <laughs> really? Uh, admire his wonders and love people that reservation, close quote. So, to, to me, the, 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 the outworking of the premise doesn't work. I mean, I'm, I'm glad for noble-hearted non-believers, but, but if I am nothing, I'm going nowhere, I have no purpose, and I'm not sure I'm going to be Embraces of the people. I'm just not sure. But if you're a believer in Jesus, then, then you live with hope and, and, and dignity. Secondly, we should have substantial happiness. Not, that's the word the confession uses, and I'm li I like the word happiness. Again, not total happiness. But I mean, a sense of well-being. So I would... Sometimes I want to push back on people and say, well, the, the Christian life is a struggle. It is a struggle, but it's a glorious struggle. And I, I realize that, but I, I think when I get up in the morning, this morning was beautiful. Let's say you get up and it is icy and windy and overcast and, and you've got some situations you have to deal with and you've got issues with maybe a family member. And, but still, when you get up and you hit the floor, and you do the Lord's Prayer, you do the Apostles' Creed. For example, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And you get to the third clause. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let me say this. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. David said in the midst of his horrific misbehavior, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose transgressions are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity because somebody else bore my sin. The Lamb of God, Jesus. My, my, my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. I, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. Wild story, wild story. There's going to be a great resurrection day. And this body, these bodies who are broken down by sin and cancer and heart disease and, 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 and whatever, you're going to get resurrection bodies. You'll be with the Lord forever. And the most glorious Easter feast you'll have today will be 10,000 times better in heaven. And the most tender embrace you have today will be 10,000 times better in heaven. And it is glorious. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Let me tell you something. That should make me substantially happy. You got it? I mean, that's, that's who we are. So don't let the world tell you who you are. Don't let a dissatisfied Malden culture tell you what you're about. Don't allow the devil to whisper your defeats in your ear. They are there and they are many. Don't let a heightened conscience drag you down. Glory in the cross. This happened this morning. We're coming to church. My wife is driving. We're trying to get here for 8.30 prayer time. So we turn up Egypt Road. And all of a sudden, I mean, she's been driving slow, which is sometimes a burden. She's driving slow. And she turns up to Egypt Road, and all of a sudden, I mean, it's almost like we're in a funeral. I'm saying, hey, hey, the speed limit's here is 35. I got this church. Come on. She says, no, there's a policeman behind me. I said, okay, so go 30. And so she turns in the parking lot and the policeman turns behind her. She says, he's going to give me a ticket. I said, I, said, I don't give you a ticket. The only ticket I'm going to give you for driving too slow. Come on. And she pulls in and he goes by and he waves at us. I said, he's going to come on. Don't give me a ticket. But, 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 but if you have a heightened conscience that's always beating you up, listen, preach the gospel to yourself every day and, and, and see the substantial happiness that should, should be yours. Third, substantial significance. This man who wrote this letter to the New York Times says we're nothing more than a cog on the end of a machine going nowhere. We say, no, we are people made in the image of the living God. And even if we scoff at the message and deny the reality of God, you can produce beauty and truth and embrace beautiful music and laugh and rejoice in, in the, the colors of creation because you're made in the image of God. It's called, it's called common grace. And if you're a believer in Christ, you can do that in a heightened fashion. And because all people are made in the image of God, every man and woman, in spite of their ethnicity or orientation or what they say, everyone is worthy of respect and Christian love. And they have dignity. And we have substantial security. I mean, I, the Bible says, Jesus says, no one can snatch you from the Father's hand. 
Romans 8 says, there is a man, just like this says here in Acts 17, there's a man who's going to judge us. His name is Jesus. But the man who's going to judge us died on the cross for our sins, and he's right now praying in heaven for us. That's pretty good. The judge is praying for us. The judge died for us. Therefore, I have substantial security. And then fourth is the response. Here's the response. As Paul preached, this is what the people said. Verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed. Three responses. Number one, some people mocked. They scoffed. And they said, what are you talking about? Resurrection? From the dead, eternally God, makes no sense. There are people here today that are going to leave here, and you won't probably say it verbally, but inside your heart, you're going, ah, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm just glad you're here. Pray the Holy Spirit gives you understanding. As I was studying this passage this week, I thought about my life, and I remembered something I haven't thought about in decades. I, uh, I was 18. I was a senior in high school, and there was a young guy in our class, and he was a golfer, a very good golfer, wanted to play golf, play golf for Wake Forest University during their heyday. And I think during his time there, they won two NCAA championships. But I remember he was talking to some of us in class about John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And I said, Tim, it just makes no sense to me. A teacher died on the cross, big deal. Big deal. Just kind of laughed him off. About 14 months later, I understood the gospel. And it was a big deal. There are scoffers here. And we're just glad you're here. And then there's another group. There's a group here saying, you know, I need to hear more about this. I, I, I just kind of thought all religions were the same. I didn't realize that Jesus claimed to be necessarily God in the flesh. I didn't realize Jesus said, as he did, before Abraham was, I am, thus making himself equal with God. I didn't realize that Jesus claimed to forgive sin, which only God can do. Uh, these, these things I, I, I didn't get. So we're, we're glad you're here. I, I plead with you to investigate the reality of Christ because we believe with the church historically that there's salvation found in no one else other than the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sin. The love and the justice of God meet in the cross. It's a glorious story. And some, I pray today, will believe. They'll come in and say, well, I, I believe kind of sort of in Jesus, but now I believe. I believe he's truly God. And I go from darkness to light. You know, I mentioned earlier that the Apostle Paul's conversion, he's, he's on the road to a place called Damascus, and there's, there's a blinding light that knocks over the, the, so profound that the soldiers fall to the ground, and Paul loses his sight for several days. And there's a voice that says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. He's, he was persecuting the church. And, well, Paul got, was converted. So, so sometimes this is dramatic. I know that. Some of you have had dramatic encounters. But some, some of us, it's just been a process. It was a process for me. It was a process of understanding 
who Christ is and who he claimed to be and what he did on the cross and how that worked out. One of my favorite people is a guy named C.S. Lewis uh, who taught at Oxford medieval literature. He died in 1963. But, but Lewis's statement, he was a, a brilliant man raised. He was an atheist. He was an atheist and he went through World War I and was wounded, still an atheist. And he goes to teach at Oxford and he falls into a group of men who are believers in Jesus. They encourage him to consider who it means, what it means to follow Christ. And so Lewis dealt with it. And so at the age of 30, 31, Lewis became what he called a theist. He went from being an atheist to believing that there's a God who made the heavens and the earth, who, who gave us all of these wonderful languages that he studied and who, who he said he planted these stories about eternity in the hearts of men, as you study Norse literature, Lewis said. You just see it everywhere. So, so, but he was there for two years and his friends kept saying, it's good that you're a theist, but we want you to understand who Jesus is. And so at the age of 33, this is his testimony. He said, one Saturday morning, a bright and beautiful morning, I got in a sidecar of a motorcycle, you know, sidecar, to go to the zoo. When I got in the sidecar, I did not believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. I did not believe that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when I arrived at the zoo, I got out believing that Jesus was God in the flesh and that he died on the cross for my sins. I go, I'll ride to the zoo. But you cross the line from unbelief to belief from saying, I'm gonna do it my way to I believe he did it for me. To saying, I'm the ruler of my world and the captain of my fate, to saying, Christ is God, I follow him. It's that, it's that simple. So again, we're glad you're here. Glad to celebrate the strong and glorious reality of Easter. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the, thank you for giving us the Bible, preserving it. Thank you that this apostle was provoked in his spirit. I, Lord, I pray we'd be provoked in our spirit and grieved when people uh, don't understand who Christ is or, or where they worship a God that is the, something that they fashion themselves instead of worshiping the eternal God. I pray we, we'd be provoked in our spirit as we see very gifted friends going down paths that are dead ends. Um, and I pray we'd love people enough to reason with them and to plead with them like Paul does, these people in the synagogues and on the Areopagus and the marketplace. And I pray that the strong reality of Christ would, would be ours and we would know it and embrace it. And that you'd bring true integration to our lives. And Lord, I pray for every person here who names the name of Christ as Savior, that they would have substantial hope and substantial happiness, and substantial security, and substantial significance. That's, that's who we should be. And I pray for those who are interested, that are here, or that, Lord, you would really speak to their hearts and show them what it means to step from unbelief to belief. So have mercy upon us, and we just thank you for your goodness. And, and Lord, Lord, thank you that so many of us here at one time scoffed and even mocked the message of the gospel and just kind of threw up our hands as we looked at friends who believed in Jesus. And, and yet in your tender mercies, you have opened our eyes. Thank you for that. Do that to other people here today in Jesus' name. Amen.